Welcome to Starkville Church of God. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, strengthens you, and fills you with God's love so you can share with others. Enjoy the message. When we come to this place in the book of Exodus, Israel has just been liberated from Egyptian bondage. For 400 years, they have been under the control of the Pharaoh of Egypt. They had experienced the first Passover. They had experienced that last plague. God had said to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh what to let my people go. Throughout plagues, he had continued to be hard-hearted and would not let them go until finally that last and final plague where the death angel showed up to kill the firstborn of every family. And the Lord told Israel that if you want to spare your firstborn, then you are to kill that Passover lamb. You are to take the blood and put it upon the top and the sides of the doorpost of your homes, and the death angel will pass over. Obviously, that is super deep, so much preaching and teaching we could do there. They've experienced that already. They've been and they've seen the parting of the Red Sea. They saw where Pharaoh had finally said, okay, y'all just go, get out of here. And they left Egypt, but then found themselves not long after that, that Pharaoh had changed his mind. And they found themselves with the Red Sea in front of them, mountains to the side of them, and Pharaoh and the most powerful army on the planet at the time coming up behind them. And the Lord did what? He made a way where there seemed to be no way. Yet again, more preaching that I could do another time, but not today. And now they stand before the Lord at Mount Sinai, a place that would become a place of significance throughout the time of Israel. And they stand, and the glory of the Lord is there on the mountain. The Bible tells us that there was an earthquake, that there was smoke, that there was fire. All of this is going on. And after 400 years in a monarchy under the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, they are now about to begin the first theocracy, what is a nation where God is their king. And as a new nation, Israel needed laws to govern them. You see, they had been, before this time, God had began this covenant with Abraham many years ago, over 400 years ago, and he started this covenant, said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He said, look up there, Abraham, you see those stars? Your descendants are going to be more than those stars. Look at the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will be more than that. And so they've gone from this one family to now, God placed them in this incubator of Egypt, and that's a whole other sermon also. And they had grown now to a Uh, a, a nation of millions of people. But how many of you know that millions of people, you've got to have some order in the middle of the chaos. And they had just been delivered from a nation full of idolatry. They were about to conquer a land that was also full of idolatry and idols. And Israel was in need of a reestablishing of their relationship of the one true God. I've told you this already several times, but, you know, they started with Abraham. It, was a, it started as a relationship. In fact, God said about Abraham what? He said, Abraham, my friend. It started with Abraham, the friend of God, who had a close personal relationship with the Lord that went on through his son Isaac and then even one of his sons, Jacob, that would continue the covenant. And even Jacob, that deceiver, that one, that supplanter, even he had a relationship with the Lord and even wrestled with God one night until God would bless him. 
But now Jacob's 12 sons becoming those 12 tribes of Israel, they had lived, they had multiplied, they had been in in this idol-ridden land of Egypt, and Israel was in desperate need of a reestablishing of their relationship with the one true God. In fact, many of them really probably have never experienced anything like this before, the presence of the Lord. You know, this is not in my notes anywhere, but I have to think that as we're here in January of 2023, I believe that we're in a time and we are in a place where there are so many young people that have never experienced the presence of the Lord either. As Israel stood on Mount Sinai, there was now a new generation of people They weren't there. They weren't there when Abraham had the Lord came down to him and he was there in the furnace and he was there when God cut covenant with Abraham. They had not been there. They had not been there that night when their great-great-grandfather Jacob had wrestled with the Lord that night all alone. Many of this generation, oh, they'd seen the, they'd just seen the plagues and they'd just seen all this, and that was more than they had really ever seen. But to them, there was a lot of a lot of folklore, a lot of tales, a lot of stories about how Father Abraham had seen this and Father Isaac had done this, and how Father Jacob, who later was his name changed to Israel, had seen this. But now they stand for themselves at the mountain of the Lord in front of the glory of the Lord. And listen, folks, my prayer is this. That now in 2023, may a new generation stand at the mountain of the Lord. May a new generation of young men and young women stand at the presence of the Lord. Let them experience the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let them experience the God that the forefathers that established this church had experienced in their lives. My prayer today is not, Lord, take us back into the past. But my prayer today is, Lord, let this new generation stand at the mountain of God. Let this new generation stand and behold the glory of the only ruling true God in this world. And as they stood here on this mountain... They were beholding God's glory, and God was about to give them a national constitution to direct them. And God would give them three things. If you're a note taker, God would give them three things. He would give them moral laws. He would give them ceremonial laws directing their worship of him. And he would give them civil laws addressing the affairs of their government and citizens. Again, if you're a note taker, the first thing that I want to look at before we even start into the Ten Commandments themselves is the importance of the Ten Commandments. When we look at the Bible and we look at history, we find that the ancient Jews compiled more than 600 laws received from God. 248 of them were positive and 365 of them were negative. I don't know about y'all, but I'm glad that I live under grace and not the law. Somebody say amen. The major ones were the Ten Commandments that are also called the Decalogue, which means ten words. God both spoke them audibly and engraved them on stone twice. The first time, God gave them to Moses on the mountain, and Moses came down, and Israel had become impatient in 40 days. All it took was 40 days, and Israel had already backslidden. 
They told Aaron, Aaron, Moses left Aaron in charge, and they're like, hey, your brother ain't never coming back. Make us a calf that we can worship. Can I just tell somebody something? If we're not careful, we're always going to go back to our old sinful ways. It is our human nature to do that. They had been in Egypt for so long, and they're like, make us a calf that we can worship and we can dance around. And the Bible said that they began to dance around the calf, and Moses came down from the mountain, and he heard singing. He heard rejoicing. And when he came down, he found out that it wasn't a sanspiration to God, and it wasn't a worship service to God. It was to this golden calf that they were worshiping. And Moses did what? He got mad and he threw down those tablets that God had engraved and shattered them. Then he had to go back. <laughs> and for 40 more days, Moses was on the mountain. And God, once again, on two tablets of stone, wrote these 10 commandments. When the Ark of the Covenant was built later on, they were one of three things that were placed in it. What went in the Ark of the Covenant that represent, represented the presence of God in that Old Testament time was what? The Ten Commandments, a bowl of manna that they would later on from this point, it would be later that they would receive in the wilderness as nourishment and sustenance from God, and then also the rod of Aaron that would later, after this point, bud as well. In the New Testament, Jesus was asked which of the commandments was the greatest, they were always testing him. Again, if you are reading along in this New Testament, we've been in that place where it's like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. They was always trying to come up with a question to stump Jesus. They were always trying to get him to say something wrong so they could criticize him. And so they could. But Jesus, thank God Jesus was way too smart for all of them. But they were always trying to catch him in something. And they came to him once and said, Lord, what is the greatest of all these? I told you already that they had more than 600 laws, 248 of them positive, 365 negative. And they had all these things. They're like, Lord, teacher, what is the greatest of these? And when Jesus spoke, he, he, separate, he summarized the ten into two inseparable rules. He said, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, as obviously the author of the Ten Commandments anyway, was giving them this division. It's divided into two. The Ten Commandments are divided into two. The first four focus on our vertical relationship. Now, let me, let me just tell you, wherever in life, I've already said how we have such a great variety of people here. So, wherever you're at, from the youngest Middle schooler, everybody else I think younger than children's church. If not, they're probably not listening to me anyway. From the middle schooler to the high schooler to the college undergrad student to the student working on their Ph.D. to the young family to the grandma and the grandpa for, for every single one of us. It doesn't matter where you are in life. Every single one of us must make sure that our vertical relationship is right before any other relationships will ever work right. If you don't have a right relationship with the Lord, then your, your relationship with your parents isn't going to work right. 
If you don't first have a relationship with the Lord, your relationship with your wife, with your husband, with your children, with your coworkers, with your professors, with your teachers, with your coaches, none of your other relationships are ever going to truly work right without first your vertical relationship, your relationship with God being where it needs to be. Now, now here's a little word of warning so that I, I always try to give warnings. I don't want anybody to come back and say you didn't say this. Even if, now we're human and we're imperfect and none of us are ever going to have that relationship with the Lord perfect. And even when we're pretty much on track where we should be, we're still dealing with each other. And even when we're working on our relationship with the Lord, he's perfect, but we're not. So at least in that relationship, there's one perfect end of it. But come on, somebody, when we're dealing with each other, ain't none of us perfect. So there's always going to be bumps in the road. Somebody say amen. I know that we're coming up on February, and I'm just going to go ahead and let you know that, listen, marriage is never easy. Life is never easy. Relationships are never easy. Some of y'all folks that's been married for a while, not, not in an ugly way, but come on, y'all know that people watch too much TV and these books and everything and think it's just all going to be perfect and there's somehow, no, it's all, it's all messy, it's all imperfect with imperfect people, but God will help us. But before anything will ever even come remotely to work and right, we've got to do that. Those first four Jesus and of the Ten Commandments, Jesus put in to that vertical relationship. And then the remaining six focus on our horizontal relationship. In other words, our relationship with those around us. The giving of the law was actually an act of kindness by God. The outcome of sin is always disastrous. Can I just remind you, I know there's not a lot of preaching and teaching on that anymore, but can I just remind you that the Bible tells us very clearly that the wages of sin is death. Sin is always bad. Sin is always going to lead you down a wrong road. It's always disastrous. And the Bible repeatedly states that obedience to God's Word brings personal blessing. Over and over, over the past several months as, as in youth on Wednesday night, and this past Wednesday night, we joined in with the men here in the sanctuary with, and in our study of the book of Revelation. And every Wednesday night when I pray, I pray the same prayer because at the beginning of the book of Revelation, it says, bless is the person that reads this book. And so I pray that prayer. God, bless our young people as we study this book. And listen, it's not just the book of Revelation, but when we read the Word, God's Word brings personal blessing to our life. Everyone needs rules and boundaries, both adults and children. Can I just tell you, kids long for them. Kids that are let do whatever they want, they're truly longing for it. Now, they don't like getting in trouble. They don't enjoy it. But kids that have no rules and they have no boundaries and they have no supervision, they're longing for that. We all need it. We all need some sort of boundaries and some sort of rules. This world wants to tell us what? This world wants to tell us just do what feels good to you. Just do whatever you want to do. And that's leading to a whole bunch of disappointed and messed up people. I dare you sometimes, start reading some of this stuff. 
This Y'all know where I stand. If you've been here very long, you know where I stand on all this. God created them male, and he created them female. Start reading some of these articles that are coming out now of these people that have mutilated their bodies. And now how now they're looking back and they're like, why did I do this? I thought that this was everybody around me, the, the social media and all these people were telling me that this is going to make me happy, but now I find myself as empty and miserable as ever, and now I have surgically and chemically mutilated my body. God puts rules and boundaries on us for a reason. I would be doing you a disservice if I stood up here and told you just do whatever feels good and it's best. I'd be doing you a disservice if I said, oh, just whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you happy, that's what you'd absolutely not. I'm telling you that God is stabbed. Why am I even talking about this, these Ten Commandments? Because God has placed upon us rules and boundaries. And yes, when we step out of line and there's consequences and punishment, nobody likes it at the moment. But when we realize that they're for our safety and they're to bless us, we will in the end be far more blessed and far more happy than those that have just gone and lived their life however they wanted to. I told you more and more articles. I, I haven't had the chance to talk to anybody personally, but I've been reading these articles their gender and how they're miserable. But you know what I, and how they regret it, but you know what I have never run into? I've never stood by the bed of a saint of God about to cross on to glory that told me I regret living for the Lord. And I've stood by quite a few of them, folks, over my years. I've stood by one. I've mentioned this before, maybe here. I can't remember. I won't ever forget Sister Obar from the Houston Church of God. She had a brain tumor. And I remember me and my friend Dalen Mooneyham, we went over to her house. She was getting toward the end. We went over to her house. Here's this faithful woman of God, godly woman, Served the Lord for so many years, been faithful to God, a praying woman with a tumor in her brain, knowing things beginning to affect her body, knowing that the end was there. You know what I found from Sister Obar? She was rejoicing and thanking the Lord. Thanking the Lord for how he'd always been with her and thanking the Lord for how she was about to transition on to be with him. Others over the years, I've, I've stood in hospital rooms and bedrooms as, as dear saints of God and lived their life for Him and as they're waiting to cross over into eternity. Not one time, not one single time have I ever had one look at me and said, Pastor, I wish I hadn't prayed so much. Not one single time have I ever heard them say, Pastor, I wish I haven't, hadn't lived for the Lord as hard as I did. Not one single time have I ever had somebody tell me that they regretted living according to the ways and the word of the Lord. But yet over and over now, we're finding those that want to step out of bounds and get outside of what God has structured that are saying they regret it and they're miserable, folks. Can I just tell you today, I've not come here to try and 
make people miserable. I'm not coming here to try to throw a bunch of rules on people that are going to make you men. No, I am trying to set up and remind you of the boundaries that the Lord has placed upon us that will help us to live the most fruitful, the most blessed, and the most happy lives in the end that we can possibly live. Give God praise if you believe it. We can never follow the Ten Commandments well enough to earn our way into heaven. I know I'm talking about this and that we need to follow the Lord and we need to know these, but, but again, let me remind you, don't think that I'm, I'm preaching salvation through works because it's salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You'll never be able to take these Ten Commandments and live them good enough to say, well, you know what? They earned their way. Absolutely not. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we can ever find salvation because the law demands absolute perfection. And if you live by the law and break even one of them, you're guilty of all of them. And then you live under a, the law's curse according to James chapter 2 and verse 10, which is why so many people, I want to be careful. I know I've, I've, I've taken too long on this than I intended to, but which is why it, it, it disturbs me sometimes when I see born-again believers. There's, there's value there's value in, in the Old Testament. There's value in the Ten Commandments. There's value in learning the things. They were the types and the shadows that God was getting ready to. But it disturbs me when I see born-again Christian believers trying to go back to, to try to reestablish some of the old Jewish ways. Now, I don't want to offend nobody. Listen, if you've got a prayer shawl and there is so much significance in that that helps us understand it. But can I just tell you, after the veil was rent from top to bottom and Jesus' blood was shed, you don't have to drape a prayer shawl over you to be able to pray. We don't have to do a whole lot. We don't have to do some of those things in the Old Testament. So, so please don't misunderstand me here. So now we ask this question. Why study the Ten Commandments? Although the Old Covenant was replaced by the New Covenant, listen to me, God's moral law is timeless. And it applies to all of time. It doesn't matter whether it was Old Testament or New Testament. Right now, God's moral law has never changed. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. We find that this part, all of the rest, I told you there were all these different ones. God gave them ceremonial law, how to worship at the temple, the tabernacle, and then later the temple, all of that. None of that was written on stone, but the Ten Commandments were what? They were written on stone. God does nothing by accident, folks. There was a reason why God wrote it on stone, not just once, but twice. Moses got mad and broken the first time, and God thought it was important enough that even after that, go back and do it again. It was written on stone as well as on our hearts, and it can't just be on stone. It can't just be on a plaque on the wall of the church somewhere. It's got to be in our hearts. God's moral law didn't begin at Mount Sinai. Moses said that Abraham, who lived more than 500 years before the law, was given and kept God's commandments in Genesis 26 and 5. The New Testament repeatedly quoted the Old Testament showing that New Testament morality is built on Old Testament morals. In our day, society and moral boundaries are being moved. Our notion, our, excuse me, our nation has returned to the lifestyle of the days of the judges when the Bible said that everyone did what was right in his own eyes in Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. Sometime back, and I know this kind of dates me, and this is sad, and it's just to let you know that, you know, the things of this world, th- things that are going on right now, they didn't happen overnight. 
Sometime back, if you're familiar with television commercials and those golden arches, there was a series of commercials that ran for quite a few years that gave the ingredients of the Big Mac. Come on, anybody remember those commercials? Come on now. Some of y'all, I'm not going to ask you to, but some of y'all could probably sing that song right. Come on, I'm not going to ask you to, but if you could, if you could sing that song, raise your hand right now. And, And sadly, a news headline back a few years ago said that the survey taken said more Americans were familiar with the ingredients of the Big Mac than the Ten Commandments. Now, that's been a minute even with that. I'm telling you, we didn't get to where we are right now overnight. It didn't just happen overnight. It's, it's, this has been going on for a while, getting us to where we are. But we know the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All Scripture is profitable. The book of 1 Timothy 1 and 8 says, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. And then Jesus in Matthew 5 and 17 says that I came to not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. So therefore, folks, that's why I'm trying to tell you, why do we look at this? Why do we study this? I'm not trying to bring back a bunch of Old Testament unnecessary things, but those 10 laws, that Decalogue, those, two, them, those 10 things that were written on two tablets of stone were the moral moral ways of God, and those things have never and will never change. Somebody say amen. The first command, thou shalt have no other gods before me. As the Ten Commandments begin, God claims an exclusive right to be acknowledged as the only one to be worshipped. He didn't want anybody else receiving his worship. He didn't want his people giving praise to anybody else. He said, I am claiming an exclusive right to be worshipped by you. In verse 2, God tells who he is. He said, I am the Lord. And used here is Yahweh or Jehovah, which means the God who is. And it is connected to that name that before this all started, as Moses was in the backside of the desert tending to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he began to call out to him. said, take off your shoes, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. He begins to say, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. This is summarized here. And Moses is like, all right, who do I say sent me? And the Lord said, you tell them I am sent you. That name of the Lord I am is so powerful because it means so much. It means that God is who he is, and he is everything that you need. In other words, when he said that, he said, I am your deliverer. Moses, I am your healer. Moses, I am your provider. Moses, I am your comforter. Moses, I am your peace. Moses, I am anything and everything that you will ever need in your life. And not only am I everything you'll ever need, I am it all by myself. I don't rely on you to be who 
I am. Listen, I rely and I trust on God. If I'm ever going to be a successful man, if I'm ever going to be a successful husband or father or friend or pastor or preacher, I am completely and totally relying on the Lord God. But God is not relying on me. He has always been who he is, and he will always be who he is. There are four things that this command prohibits. I'm telling you, I'm going to get through. i got five minutes. Y'all stay with me. There are four things that this command prohibits. Number one, it prohibits atheism, the belief that God does not exist. Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. I mentioned this on Wednesday night, but there was a very powerful presentation two times on campus last semester with the God's Not Dead uh, presentation. I know some of how many of you went to that? Anybody go to that? Let me see your hand. You went to that powerful presentation to hear that. Catch that sometime if it ever comes back or look it up online. I have no doubt that there's there. Listen, the fool says it's hard. The more that they get into science and the more they try to disprove God, the more they keep coming back to there ain't no way of getting around him. Second thing of the four that this command prohibits is idolatry, worshiping a false God in place of the Lord. Listen to your pastor this morning. There are not, and I repeat, there are not many paths to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I, I love, I love, every, we're supposed to love everybody. I love my atheist friends. I love my Muslim friends. I love my Buddhist friends. I love everybody around me, and I love them so much that I can't lie to them and act like that their way is going to get them to heaven because I must out of love say that there is no other way to get to heaven but through Jesus. The third thing that this commandment prohibits is polytheism. In other words, the worshiping of many gods. In the Old Testament, the Egyptians had a God for everything. You come back in the New Testament, and the Greeks and the Romans had a God for everything. Again, as I already preached a little bit, I am. In other words, he is everything you need. You don't have to have a God for this and that and everything. Thank God we don't have to pick up a God for everything. All we need is the one true God, and he is able to give us all that we need. Fourthly, it prohibits syncretism, which is the worship of false gods and the Lord together. Now, I didn't mention this a little bit earlier because I knew I was going to get to this and I didn't want to double it up here. But I mentioned how Moses would go up on the mountain. And as he went up on the mountain in 40 days, that the people would begin to get itchy and the people would begin to panic a little bit and the people would begin to say, uh, Aaron, you're gonna have your, your brother's dead. You're gonna have to make us a calf to worship. One thing that I didn't get into earlier that I want to remind you of is not only did the Bible said that they were he Moses came off down off the mountain, but he came down off the mountain. The Bible said that they were eating and drinking. They rose up to play and they were worshiping the calf and the Lord. In other words, it was a syncretism. In other words, they were like, well, I'm, we're gonna worship the Lord. They didn't completely throw God out. But they needed to go ahead and bring that calf in there too, folks. God, he is a jealous God. 
He does not want you worshiping him and somebody else. You ain't got Christian man, Christian woman. You ain't got no business dabbling in the occult. You ain't got no business dabbling in Hinduism. You don't have any business dabbling in Buddhism. You don't have any business dabbling in Islam. God said, I want you and you alone. You will not worship me and Muhammad. You will not worship me and Buddha. You will not worship me and a calf. You will worship me and me alone. Many people think that idolatry is a thing of the past because we're not dancing around golden idols anymore. But there are many today that have idols, idols where they worship themselves, where they are more important than anything else. Some worship other people. I got to be careful right here, but because I don't have a lot of time to get into it, there are some people that their children have become their gods. Their children call the shots. Their ki- everything they do is based on their children. Can I just tell you something? That this book right here, if you follow it, God's going to tell you, you're going to take care of your kids. But some people have allowed their children to become the focus of their lives. Material possessions has become their idol. Paul told Christians to rid from their lives, covetousness, which is idolatry in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Covetousness is the sin of greed, of always wanting more, which is a form of idolatry. Last thing, I see the time, and I'm wrapping this up. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This know also that in the last days, Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of The first command is in that first group of that first four that I told you was about your vertical relationship. Now, I know that there's very few people nowadays, especially here in the United States, that set up a little golden calf or some statue to to worship. But if it's more important to you than God is to you, it's an idol. Anything can become that. Y'all know I love sports, but if we're not careful, sports can become an idol when it becomes more important than the Lord. I've told y'all for years as a pastor, fighting people. I heard somebody preach, somebody preached on, I can't remember who it was here a while back. Travel ball. And how travel ball had become more important parents try to make it oh well it's gonna be their scholarship it's gonna be all that blah 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 if it becomes more important than God I'm not saying you're not gonna listen everybody's gonna miss a Sunday once in a while everybody I'm not I'm talking about when you you know it listen that's between you and God and we know when we decide that something is gonna be more important than him in our lives All of us are prone to do that, especially when I read from 2 Timothy 
what the Bible said would happen in these last days. We're living in those days. It's so easy to get consumed in what we want and what makes us feel better and what makes us happy and put ourselves above God. Because you know what the Bible said, Jesus said. He said, if any man come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We've tried to paint this into some picture to where if you serve God, it's like winning the lottery. Spiritually it is, but it don't mean that you're going to be rich beyond your wildest dreams. It's going to cost you. Jesus said, son of man, said foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus came to be, to be a servant and not served. It costs to live. We don't earn ours. Again, we don't earn his exclusive property. He doesn't want to share us with any other God. We belong to him. Thanks for listening to our podcast. To find out more about us, follow us on social media at StarkvilleCOG. Special thanks to those who generously support this ministry. If you would like to give, visit us at StarkvilleCOG.com forward slash give. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.